Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Steve Jones Show here on WKOK 1070 AM. We are sponsored by the Sunbury Motors. We are in the Sunbury Motors studio here on 1070 AM. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but is anybody sure if uh, any news happened uh, over the last 24 hours since we left you guys? Uh, I believe we got Pete Carroll's resignation in before we talked to Peter King yesterday, but since that happened, both Nick Saban and... uh, Bill Belichick have stepped down and uh, will no longer coach. It's, it's you know it's very rare that you get possibly the greatest NFL coach and possibly the greatest college coach to to resign within about tw- I, I almost said 24 hours, but probably within 12 hours of each other. And you know the way the way uh, <clears throat> the way it sounds, it, it, you know they were about an hour out from uh, Bill Belichick's. I was going to call it a press conference, but it was really him and uh, Robert Kraft talking. Uh, they didn't take questions, but uh, it sounds like that, that Belichick does plan on coaching next year and that Robert Kraft just felt like the uh, uh, they needed to change. Be with you on this uh, Thursday. Whoever thought that we'd be on a show or on the same day, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Nick Saban are all without jobs. My goodness. Did did anything happen since we signed off yesterday, right? What what are the odds that Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll are all unemployed and the suit is employed? I mean, it's just, there's just things that defy explanation. This is true. And I don't know if you caught some of what they were talking about at noon, but both Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick sound like he's going to coach next year, just not for the Patriots. Right. No, look, he's 15 wins away from surpassing Don Shula. So, I mean, do you want to quit at that point? No. Especially if, if you, especially if you love your job. I mean, he loves coaching. You can tell he actually loves the job. But, uh, you know, you are seeing – let's go back to what Peter King talked about with us yesterday. because And this had nothing to do with Saban. Uh, so it had nothing to do with, with Saban. But Belichick, and ironically, Belichick, Saban, and Carroll all have one other thing in common. They're all 72. Uh, And you're wondering if, like, Seattle wants just a fresh voice, fresh face, younger voice, younger face in there. You're wondering if the Patriots want a fresh face, younger face in there. And then when you look at Nick Saban, you are now seeing Mike Krzyzewski. Roy Williams, Jay Wright, Nick Saban, all in this NIL transfer portal era, all saying, you know what? I think it's time to step aside. 
Now, is that the reason they all stepped aside? Would they admit that's the reason they stepped aside? They probably won't admit it, but it's something where you can sit there and at least talk about and debate that in this particular era, those jobs have become exponentially more difficult. Nick Saban is the greatest coach of the playoff era. Uh, and I'm not, I am not one to say, he's the GOAT! Oh, please, just time to grow up. You do nothing. Uh, you would... One of the things you have to do in the, in the job is you have to lend perspective, and it's part of your job to lend perspective, okay? By saying, he's the GOAT! Oh, will you just grow up? The sport wasn't invented 10 years ago. I mean, come on. Every era is different. And all the great coaches, I think, could have handled anything in any era. In the playoff era, he's the best. He's proven it over and over again. Right. Walter Camp was the best of his era. 1890s, early 1900s. Amos Alonzo Stagg. Pop Warner. Frank Leahy. Okay? Especially post-World War II, Frank Leahy was phenomenal. I mean, he even did a great job when he was briefly at Boston College. All right? You look at all the people that, you know, over the course of time. Bear Bryant in his era, in the pole era, was phenomenal. Joe Paterno had five undefeated seasons in four different decades. Really? I mean, that's never going to happen again. Do you want to know why? Because you're going to have, starting this year, 11 teams automatically ending their season in a loss. Of the 12 best teams in the country, 11 are going to end with a loss. How, how difficult is it going to be to have five undefeated seasons in four different decades? It's going to be awfully hard to do. That's something. All the thing that all the time that that Saban was at Alabama, um, you know, and he he covered what three different decades there, okay? and Nick did a good job at Michigan State. And in fact, he really at the end of his tenure, Michigan State was really good. But it was also maybe as far as he could go with it. Uh, which he knew, and then he took the LSU job, and they won, won a national championship. But when you go through Bobby Bowden in the BCS era, okay, right? These, you know, so it's different eras, different times. You have to have at least some semblance of history and what the different eras happen to be. And Nick Saban is among the greatest coaches of all time, without question. Right, but at the same time, don't discount different eras and different ways of doing things. Polls, playing in a national title game, being in a playoff, uh, things like that, that certainly do make a difference as to you know how you go about your job and how you coach it. I mean, things have changed, but all the names I mentioned are among the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, and, you know, I mean, credit where credit's due. Saban's had a phenomenal career. But, you know, I talked, for example, about Joe, for example. Joe had five undefeated seasons in four different decades, right? You want to know how many undefeated seasons Saban had? In his whole career. Uh, two? Yes, two. That's it. Two. 
That's two phenomenal years. And one of them was 2020. That was the uh, COVID year. All right? And the other one was 2009. But, you know, you're talking about at Alabama, 201 wins and only 29 losses. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and he's been so good. I was going to say, he's been so good. I don't think uh, people remember what a circus Alabama was, you know, before he came there for probably from after Gene Stallings' national championship until Saban got there. Well, to be honest with you, really, except for the Gene Stallings era, which was not that long, Alabama was a mess uh, for the most part from the end of Bear Bryant from 83 until Nick took, mm-hmm. took the job in 2007. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, it went that long. And Stallings delivered a national title, and I think he, he uh, and, and they were good under Gene Stallings. Uh, but he was an older coach at the time, and they knew it was only going to be so long he was going to stay. Um, but uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the end of a great era. Um, and look, and he did great where he is the best coach of this particular era. But you have to have a perspective before he's that goat. Oh, just slow down. Like, you know, actually, like, actually come to the table with some chops. That's why I don't like listening to ESPN radio. The chops are just not on display. They just, I mean, they don't try. They don't try. They just play to the crowd. Well, no. Nick Saban is one of the best all time and the best of this era. Bear Bryant dealt with a different set of circumstances. Joe Paterno dealt with a different set of circumstances. Bobby Bowden de- dealt with a different set of circumstances. Amos Alonzo Stagg, Pop Warner, Era Parsegan, uh, Frank Leahy, they all dealt with different circumstances right? Right? along the way. So these that's why it's among the greatest of all time. Yes, he won several na- seven national championships, but he got a chance to do it. I mean, that's the whole point. You get a chance to do it. There was no four-game playoff. With when Bear Bryant coached, there was no four-game playoff when Joe coached. There was no four-game playoff when Bobby Bowden coached, right? Where you can just go in and like, hey, guess what? You're the uh, you're you're not the number one seed, but you know you got a chance. You know you do have to win two games, but you're in and got a shot at it. Okay, right? You can do that. Uh, it's because you have the ability to do that. Steve Jones, so this is Todd speaking. You know, I mean, so he's the best of this era. There's no getting around. Seven national titles. And, again, the ability to get in. Now, he got two of them that were kind of gifted to him in some ways. One was the win over LSU. I always felt that was like, okay, they won the national title. You know, and that. And what was the other? There was two of them where I looked at and like he did, like they got in because – because what they beat, let's see, they lost to LSU that year 9-6. And then they, oh, where they didn't win their division, and they didn't, that's right, they didn't win the division or the SEC, and they got into the national title game. Like, that kind of helps. <laughs> you don't win your division. You, there's three titles available. The division, the conference, and the national title. You only won one out of three, but it was the big one, the national <laughs> title game. I mean, that helps. That does not hurt. 
at all. One was in 2011. And I think the other, I think it was back to back. It was 11 and 12 where he got in and he didn't win the SEC or win the, uh, or end up winning the, uh, the, the division. Like, didn't win the division. Okay. Hey, Steve, I have Dick from Milton on the line. Hey, Dick, how are you today? Just quick. My theory, you know, they got rid of all these NFL coaches this week, a lots and lots of them. And, yeah. and, and I feel really bad for them because I don't think the general managers give each team enough quality players to actually compete at that level anymore. I mean, most teams are like one, one quarterback being going out away from not winning games or one running back going out or a good wide receiver. And, and so I just don't – it's kind of like baseball. Nobody, nobody's going to spend the money to compete with the Yankees and some of the Dodgers and some of these teams in, in NFL football. I just don't think there's enough quality players out there to compete in that, with that many teams to, to win a Super Bowl. That's my theory on that. Especially, so I think the general manager is as much as fault as the, as the coaches or more of fault. Especially a quarterback. Especially a quarterback, and that's that's the I mean, big one above all. I mean, if you lose your starting quarterback in the NFL, most of the time you hope you can somebody find somebody that you can play the ball games with anymore. Right, and, I, and that's a big part because look at Pete Carroll. Of course, went from Russell Wilson, and they and look, they were smart about that. They dealt Wilson where they felt the shelf life was over with. Right, but they've been with Geno Smith the last two years has been. Good, but geez, I mean, do you really feel he's a Super Bowl quarterback? And Belichick had along the way he had Mac Jones, and not Tom Brady. It makes a big difference. Well, I guess my only point was when I saw these coaches losing their jobs this week, and obviously they, they weren't they weren't winning enough to to maintain their job. But in, in a lot of cases, I think the general manager didn't give them the quality product to put on the field. Agreed. I think that is. A That's lot. my theory on that. So, you, and of course, you can't fire the owner, and you can't fire, usually fire the general manager. I guess the Carolina guy lost his job. I'm not sure how many general managers got rid. I got rid of this week. I have no idea. Well, but, I, I but think, well, essentially, Belichick was really the GM, and he was really the personnel guy there too. So it was a common. I guess my other question: You think there's a, you think there's as many quality kids football coming out of college that you can actually play at that level? That many teams. Okay, this is going to be uh, maybe a little different answer, but I'll give it to you anyway. It's interesting what's coming up for the players that are going into the draft. They're going to go into the combine, right? So we get to see how they run a 40, shuttles, how high they can jump, bench 225, go through interviews, things like that, right? And there are a lot of people that put a heavy emphasis on the combine, when they have all this video available to them, just watch and see how they play football. Right? I mean, that's and I don't think there's enough emphasis put on on how somebody plays the game of football. Watch and see who actually knows how to play. And that's my biggest complaint about the greatest athlete. The NFL has a greater depth of athletes than ever before playing the game of football. But where they're lacking depth are guys that know how to play football. I don't. I don't disagree with that. I just. I just. My thing is, there are enough quality players to stock that many football teams and play at that high level. That's my only point. Well, and you know, and you see, because of all the injuries of the seventeen-game season, you need more players than ever. 
and that's yeah. I mean, and that's that is an issue. You have thirty two teams, but you can't get through the season with forty five, forty six guys. Even with fifty three guys in the practice squad roster, you still need to go out and get other guys. I mean, you you know, you need to have sixty to sixty five guys during the season just to negotiate a season because it's so long and the, and the hitting is so intense. Because again. This is the greatest era ever of the NFL in terms of the quality of athlete, right? But it's not the greatest era of football in the, the knowledge of actually how to play the game. The guy, they play the game, but it's that you can just tell the smart ones out there who know an angle, understand what they're supposed to do, why they're supposed to do it, and, and they pick up an extra step because they see it, they believe it, and the whole thing. There's not enough guys in the league that do that. Do that. And you see it all the time. You look around and say, what are you doing? How many times are you watching TV, Dick, and you say, what was he doing on that play? Yeah, I've said that a different times. Yeah, obviously. Well, anyhow, I'll let you go. Yeah, look how hard it is for a, for a college team with 100 players or whatever to compete when they lose quality players. Because they don't have as, they sometimes don't have the depth of the backups that can compete at that level. It's in right. college. Exactly. You know, now imagine the pros where it's now it's down to the best thirty-two teams, and they all go at it after that. And it's still and they only have long, half, the, half the players. Yeah, it's long. I mean, and you're right about the GMs. Uh, the GMs are you know, look, look, and sometimes like take Howie Roseman. Oh, how he did it again. How he did what? He drafted Jalen Carter. I said he's a front runner. You know, you heard Peter King talk about Jalen Carter yesterday. It wasn't glowing. Jordan Davis, I've never been glowing about him. Like how he do it. You know, AJ Brown, boy, he's a real great locker room guy. Good good pick up there. I mean, he's done a good job of picking up some of the glory guys, and I'm not and right now some of it's spinning out of control. Yeah. Well, that was my point about it. Just a bit. It's a. It's well. Obviously, it's going to continue in college football with the portal. We went over that, and professional football with injuries and whatever. And and uh, I don't know what will happen. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a lot of jobs open right now. A lot. <laughs> and this is why a guy like Ozzie Newsom stood out as a GM with Baltimore. He was always savvy with what he did with his teams and seemed to get the best talent to give them an opportunity to at least be relevant and win. You don't have to win every game in the NFL, but you got to win enough to make the playoffs. That's yes, for sure. Sir. Yes, sir. You got that right. All right. See you. Thanks a lot, Steve. Hey, thanks, Dick. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. Again, the world is spinning off its axis. Bill Belichick, unemployed. Nick Saban, unemployed. Pete Carroll, unemployed. Suit, employed. Hmm. It's a crazy world. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online. At SunburyMotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai. All with great warranties. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. 
Terrific service department that backs it up every step of the way at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, it's 11 and 15, almost Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Nick Saban won seven national titles. Six at Alabama, one at LSU. He is the greatest winner of this era. More national titles than anybody. Era does help do that, too. Remember, that's why we talk about the greatest winner of this era. Uh, there are other great coaches along the way that never got the opportunity to be in a four-team playoff and could have been, and who knows, may have won in years where they finished second, third, or fourth. Right? I mean, that that's why we say of this era, you got to understand how college football is 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 so slow to adapt. That's why we're finally getting to a 12-team playoff now. Because they're just so slow to adapt. Everything's just, like, everything is just debated. And, well, we can't be out. One thing about college football, and I always get sick of this, I always get sick of hearing, well, we can't. You can't. Really? Oh, okay. I want to hear, okay, stop, I'm stop, sick of hearing what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. All right? And, you know, that's what you, you know, and you can do these things. Just get, you need to get everybody on the same page. They can't even take away the Pac-12's championship berth yet. You see, they, yeah. vo- they voted to continue that this week. Really? <laughs> yeah, Washington, yeah. I think Washington State wanted more time, or I, I don't know. Hey, hey, hey. Where do we find these people? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're not giving an automatic birth to the Oregon State-Washington State winner. They are not getting an automatic birth. I mean, as of right now, it is still 6-6. Six, six, yeah. six highest-ranked conference champions, six at-large bids. That will go to five and seven here eventually, <laughs> and I think. That, yeah, I know. I know. I sound like ultra confident about that, but <laughs> I, I mean, I don't under like I, I read that story and I was I was like, what what could they possibly be debating? Like, I mean, the Pac-12 is not getting a two-team berth. What else could it be? Right. Exactly. That's why they'll go to five and seven. And the college football playoff, remember this. Uh, like For example, the Peach Bowl is going to host a quarterfinal next year and the national championship game. So you're going to get both. Well, you're saying, well, how can they do that? Well, they can do that because the national championship game is independently bid upon because the college football playoff is an incorporated group. So they can make up their own rules for the playoff. Right? They they look at you and say, no, nope, this is how we're going to do it, and that is how they're going to do it. Uh, and they have the ability to do that. Um, so it doesn't matter what the Pac-12 thinks. Uh, they will get outvoted by other people who sit back and go, nah, I don't think so. Uh, and they, I mean, they know they're in, they're in trouble. That's why they're, they've got that scheduling alliance with the Mountain West, which is fine. That's good. Um, you know, because I feel badly for Washington State and Oregon State. They're the ones that are left out in the cold and all this, and I feel bad for them. But it's you know, I've not I can't help um where they are because I had nothing to do with it. Um 
it's hey. Um, that that's just the way it is, uh, and that's the new era of college sports, pure and simple. Um, and it's not done yet. We'll see what Florida State wants to do. I mean, they've got to somehow. I mean, this grant of rights thing is a little. <laughs> Always like, wow, you know, we're going to do this. And they say, hey, look, you signed the document twice. Maybe one thing if you signed it once, but you signed it a second time. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, you have a big problem here. Okay. When you sit there and you sign it twice, <laughs> years apart, you have a problem. That means you have actually really agreed to it. You know, they say they want to go somewhere. Do they have a home? Do they? I mean, no. I, I mean, I'm sure the SEC and the Big 12 would want them, but at what price? And, you know, what does that do for, you know, the stuff that they've done in the last couple years? I don't know if the SEC wants them. They already have Florida with the University of Florida. Well, that's true. I mean, so, I mean, they already have the market. Now, the Big 10 doesn't have the Florida market. So, yeah, okay, that's why you would check into it. But at some point, and I've asked, I asked this before, when is big too big? And um, and when you look at um, big to too big, are we now warping in that direction where you're not really a conference anymore, you're just a group that is conveniently put together? And I think that um, because what the Big Ten did with its scheduling with for football with 18 schools was outstanding. It really was. You end up playing everybody home and away in a five-year span. Now, that's a conference. You know, and it still protected certain rivalries. I mean, Iowa got three protected rivalries. Really? You cut me a break. Three? Yeah. All right. It's fine. I mean, now, now do you need to... Um, uh, protect the USC-UCLA rivalry? Yes. Do you need to protect Ohio State-Michigan? Yes. Do you need to protect Oregon-Washington? Yes. Um, does Iowa need to protect Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska? Really? Okay. But they were allowed to. You were allowed up to three, and they, they, they took all three. Uh, now, that means both sides had to agree to it. But you don't want to get to be so big that you lose contact with somebody in the conference. That's why I've always made a point of the Georgia-Texas A&M thing. I've always made a point of that. The reason I make a point of it is, is that's not how a conference is supposed to work. One football entity should not go 13, 14 years before they actually play a game in the other football entity stadium. That's not a conference. My goodness, even the NFL schedules everybody home and away during a during a period of time. Right? The SEC can't do it. It's a, it's you know, and they get away and of course they get away with it cuz people don't call the SEC on anything. I just I I just, you know, I just shake my head every time like they they just they're allowed to do whatever they want whenever they want and everything's hunky dory and they're the best conference and they're this and they're that. Yeah, okay, fine. Right, but then you look at it. They have eight conference games. Others, other conferences play nine. Okay, 
they'll play the t- the the Tennessee Chattanooga Mercer game the next the last game of the season. Okay, call that on it. Nope. Eight conference games. Nope. Hey, they're smart. Okay, good. I'm glad you think they're smart. Uh, but there's an inequity to it, right? And then you have this, a scheduling model that in such where you don't play people, like for years and years and years you don't play them. For years, like you're in the same conference. Why hasn't Georgia played a game at Texas A and M? I mean, Texas A&M did not join the league two years ago. They've been in since 2011. See, it's stuff like that where you sit back and say, how come nobody criticizes these people? They're quick to criticize other people. What about this? Right? After there's a moment we kind of look over and say, well, that's a bunch of hogwash. It's not like Texas A&M is not a bad program. Over the years, they've had some good years. They've had some mediocre years and some good years. But my goodness, I mean, Georgia should at least play one time in in College Station at Kyle Field, right? I mean, once, just for a couple of yayas. I wonder if that's part of Texas A&M coming in. I'm I'm sure Georgia and Alabama didn't want to make too many trips to, you know, well, you Alabama, don't want to get your losses in. Well, I guess Alabama, they're the same division, aren't they? Alabama's in the same division, so yeah. they play them every year. But they would they do this thing where because of they only have eight games, Todd, they play in their division. Now there's no divisions one through sixteen now, uh, starting this year. But you play your own division, so that's six. You have one crossover game. You know, Alabama plays at Tennessee third Saturday of October, and then one other game. Well, I guess they just haven't gotten around to going to Texas A&M yet. Really? Really? I'm sorry, that's not a conference. Right? That that's an arrangement of convenience. Right? That's why what the Big Ten did with his, with 18 schools and saying we're going to play everybody home and away in a five-year span, Todd, that was really well done by them. And they put an original schedule out with 16, had everybody playing home and away in a five-year span. And when they added Washington and Oregon, they stuck with the same model. And I'm sorry, it's the way it should be. I mean, fans are going to be able to see here at Beaver Stadium over the next five years the other 17 teams in the Big Ten at one point or another. For, for better or worse, they will see Rutgers in Maryland. Okay, They'll see Ohio State. They'll see Michigan. But they'll also see you know, Washington and UCLA this year. And then eventually they'll get USC in here, and Oregon's going to come here. Okay. Along with Iowa, along with Nebraska, along with uh, Northwestern, along with Purdue. Right? And that's the way it should be. I think it's exciting to schedule like that. It gets more juice into the schedule with with that. Um, uh, Will some years, quote, look more attractive than others? Sure. Uh, no question, but at least you're playing everybody, and everybody gets to see at one point or another everybody. And I think that that's you know that's important. Same thing in basketball. You know, bas- I, they haven't announced what they're doing with basketball yet. I am going to guess, and it's only a guess on my part. They'll play a 20 game schedule and stick with 20. That way, you still have the flexibility of how you schedule your 11 non conference games. I think they're going to do three home and aways, and they're going to do uh, 14 one plays. Right? You do three home and aways, boom, then you flip the schedule. You know, home and away one year with the 14, flip the schedule, home and away, and then, you know, and go 
whatever you did the year before, just flip it the other way. I think you'll get trips to USC and UCLA. You'll do it in one fell swoop. You know, go out on a Wednesday, play on a Thursday, stay a couple days, play Saturday night maybe, whatever it may be, and then fly back. Right? And then the next year, USC and UCLA come here. Well, okay, what does that mean about Oregon and Washington? Well, when you're out in the year playing Oregon, uh, playing USC and UCLA out there, Oregon and Washington will be two of the teams that come here. And then the next year, when USC and UCLA come in, boom. Then that's the year you go out to Eugene and Seattle. I know it sounds simple on paper, but I'm a simple guy. Uh, but I think, but that's how I think it's going to work. Now, how they want to work the Big Ten tournament? There have been rumors. It's only rumors that not all 18 schools will go to the Big Ten tournament. I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. I think uh, everybody should be in the Big Ten tournament, no matter what. With 18 teams, that would almost make it a week long event, then too, though, wouldn't it? Uh, would you? I'm trying to think how you do that. I mean, I'm not sure how you would do it because right now you're at 14. Um, and so on the opening night, you have two games. Do you then expand the opening night to four games? I guess you can throw some buys in there. I guess you don't need all 18 teams to play in the first round. Right. No, right now you have double buys for the first four teams in the conference. So in other words, right now it starts on a Wednesday. And the top four seeds in the conference do not play their first game till Friday. So I mean, I mean you can, I mean, you can work that out. Um, but there had been a rumor they were only going to invite fourteen. I'm like, oh no, that's not right. Right? That's that's again that goes away from the principle of being a conference, in my opinion. Um, and I'm just saying that that is. Um, That would go again. As much as I praise the scheduling model for football, I would be critical of the basketball tournament model. I think everybody should get in. Oh, I know. It's last night. Last year, Penn State got a first night bye and was able to play the second day. Okay, fine. You know, so it's not like Penn State's always in that first day. They aren't. Um, So. Belichick was funny today. I guess he was very loose at the press conference. He said, "He said I haven't seen this many cameras since we signed Tim Tebow." <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing how relaxed you get, and your sense of humor comes back when you when there's not all that pressure. Yeah, you know, and that's right. You know what? Kraft says he expects Belichick to keep coaching. He says it's going to be difficult to see him in that cutoff hoodie on the sideline. <laughs> uh, hey, look, 24 years, you win the Super Bowl six times. I, it is always easy to talk about what Brady meant to him because Brady meant a tremendous amount to him. But remember, Belichick had a lot to do with the defenses. Right. Brady did not defend Peyton Manning. Okay? You know, Brady in the Super Bowl did not defend Matt Ryan. Right? In the, especially in the second half of that game. Uh, and one of the greatest defensive performances ever. Right? And in terms of the scheme that was executed so well, 
was when the Giants won the Super Bowl over the Bills. Belichick was the defensive coordinator, and he ran a two-line system. He only had two down linemen, everything else linebackers and defensive backs. Why did he do that, Todd? He did that for this simple reason. He was trying to bait Buffalo into running the football. Now, Buffalo did run the ball, but he was trying to bait Buffalo into running the football. Now, what would running the football mean? One, it takes the ball out of the hands of Jim Kelly. Hmm. Two, it also makes Buffalo eat up the clock. Which brings us to three. What was essential for the Giants to win that game? Shorten the game by any means possible. And one of the keys, of course, which had nothing to do with Belichick, was the nine-minute drive the Giants had to start the second half where Otis Anderson finally finally scored. Ingram had a big catch on that drive, too, for them from uh, Jeff Hosteller. But the Giants shortened the game. They shortened the game by how they played offense, and they shortened the game by how they played defense because they baited Buffalo into running the ball because of how Belichick lined them up. I mean, that's why that, that playbook... The defensive playbook that he used, the game plan book, is in the Hall of Fame. It's that good. Right? So, yes, Brady had a tremendous amount to do with the Patriots' success, but so did Belichick. I mean, so did Belichick. Um, after all, he was the guy that made the decision when Drew Bledsoe was healthy to stick with Brady. And by the way, when Bledsoe came in and bailed out the Patriots against the Steelers in that playoff game, Okay. He went back to Brady for the Super Bowl. Okay. I'm not quite sure Bill Belichick, the coach, got fired today. I think it was more the more the GM and, and the coach went the coach Bill Belichick the coach went with him. I agree. But Bill Belichick the coach could not win a lot of games because of Bill Belichick the GM. <laughs> How about that well, he never had to he didn't have to evaluate a quarterback for 20 years and you know you know as well as I do the college game is much different in in 2020 than or 2020 2020 than it was in 2000 or whatever when they drafted Brady yeah I mean look it, it the, the combination worked beautifully it worked beautifully and it, which is great um so there we go. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay, great to have you with us on the show today. It's just an odd time in life, isn't it? Nick Saban, no job. Pete Carroll, no job. Bill Belichick, no job. Suit, tycoon. I think Nick and I think all three will bounce back. <laughs> he said nothing about the suit. Well, if he's a tycoon, what's he have to bounce back from? Have you been around him? <laughs> eh, well. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, we have fun here. So, yeah. 
Well, um, now what's Alabama going to do? I saw Dan Lanning said that he's staying at Oregon before we came on the air. Yeah, his buyout's $20 million, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think you want to go that far with it. There are plenty of people out there. The first person I thought of, first two people I thought of were Mike Norvell at Florida State and um, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Again, Sarkeesian, of course, had been at Alabama. Um, um, I saw they put James's name out yesterday, but I haven't seen his name today. I thought that was a little strange. No, Jimmy Sexton's his agent. Yeah, they they you know they you know, they get names out there. That's fine. So. Yeah. All right. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.